You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, welcome to the Big Blue View podcast. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined here by Chris Flum. Chris, how you doing today? Doing pretty good. All right, that is good to hear. So we are still just chugging along. At the end of June now, uh, we still got about a month till training camp. So we are going to do a couple of things today. First, we're going to start off with going over some football outsiders stats from this past season. Over the past couple weeks, they've been releasing some of their plus minus stats, which I'll go for quarterbacks, receivers, um, and running backs that just kind of look at how players are performed uh, above and below expectations. So we'll dive into those a little bit. And then for the second half of this podcast, we're going to do a little bit of a audio summer school. For those of you who have been reading Big Blue View for a while, usually every summer we do a summer school series that breaks down a couple different, usually very specific areas of the field, and we kind of walk through and explain those. And we usually do that in written form with this podcast. Now, we're going to do that in audio form, and I think we're going to spend a decent amount of time just kind of breaking down uh, RPOs and what they do, what they add to the offense, what the Giants could possibly do with them. So that's going to come in the second half of this episode. But we're going to start off with uh, Football Outsiders plus minus stats. They started a couple weeks ago with their passing plus minus. So basically what that is, is completions above or below expectation based on where the ball was thrown by down the field to the sideline to the area of the field. So Football Outsiders has collected a lot of data uh, historically of how many passes in each area are expected to be completed and what an actual quarterback's completion percentage was. Uh, Next Gen Stats does this with and we've talked about that a lot by actually using the player tracking data. Uh, This is more about general areas of the field. And so the Football Outsiders came out with their rankings this year, and probably not surprising, Eli Manning was 26th out of 35 quarterbacks who qualified, which they used 200 passes as a minimum, and then plus Nick Foles and Lamar Jackson, who did play a significant amount of time. So Eli Manning was 26 with a completion percentage 1% below expectation and 5.5 completions below expectation. And to be below expectation is is crazy bad because there were 21 quarterbacks who were above expectation. So this is a point where expectation is actually below average. Uh, You got 
quarterbacks up at the top, like Drew Brees, who was plus 8.5 in completion percentage and plus 39.6 in just expected completions. The top five was Drew Brees, Kirk Cousins, Matt Ryan, Russell Wilson, and Deshaun Watson. And then Eli Manning was down at the bottom, only better than Joe Flacco, Matthew Stafford, Lamar Jackson, Andy Dalton, Case Keenum, Sam Darnold, Blake Bortles, Josh Allen, and Josh Rosen. Obviously not a place where your starting quarterback should be, especially one on the tail end. There's some young guys there who can potentially get better, but I'm not sure we're in that place with Eli Manning. Yeah, no, I kind of doubt that Eli is going to get be getting better in his, what, 37, 38-year-old season, there's probably not a whole lot of uh, undiscovered upside or really much of a chance for resurgence there. I do think it is interesting to just a little bit above Eli, and the 21st spot is held by Andrew Luck, who was a tenth of a percent positive and 0.9 receptions above expected, which is it always seems just a little bit interesting to me when you get into fractions or decimal points of a either pass fail thing like catching the ball. Although looking at the NFL's officiating, maybe catching the ball isn't pass fail, but that's a whole other topic. But then just below Andrew Luck, you have Tom Brady, who is at zero and zero. And then Aaron Rodgers, who at 23, who actually dipped down into the negatives. So it is interesting to see those guys who, are basically considered to be among the elite in the NFL to be in that area. Yeah, and what's really interesting is, and you see the, some of the guys you would expect at the top and also in the top 10 are Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Patrick Mahomes, Philip Rivers. A surprising one is Derek Carr, who just because of how shallow he threw, had a higher completion percentage than expected because he rarely pushed the ball downfield. I think that was... the very similar for Eli Manning, who did not push the ball downfield, you know, as often as a lot of Giants fans would like. What's also interesting, if you go down this article here, and all of these can be found at Football Outsiders, the career plus minus leaders. There is, you know, a group at the top since 2006 is also who you expect. Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, Peyton Manning, uh, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan. Then you go to the other side, career plus minus trailers. And so the worst plus minus in their careers since 2006 is Jamarcus Russell, Drew Stanton, Matthew Stafford, Cam Newton, Ryan Fitzpatrick, and Eli Manning. So since 2006, Eli Manning has nearly 69 completions below expectation, which again, not what you would like. And it's important that we talk about that and get the context of the quarterback play because that starts to go into some of these other plus minus stats so they also track receiving plus minus which is the same thing receptions above or below expectation based on where the ball was thrown what areas of the field and everything and when you look at running backs a Saquon Barkley was one of the worst only David Johnson and James White uh, were were worse and 
A part of that comes from how poor Saquon Barkley's targets were for the most part. I, I've just finished a piece that should maybe be up on Big Book Review by the time you're listening to this, if not, maybe a little bit after, uh, but it's coming where I looked at Saquon Barkley's targets during the second half of the season, where he was supposed to be improved and the offense was supposed to have been improved. A lot of his passes were just like forced swing passes when he really shouldn't have been targeted yet when there was still time to go downfield. Uh, there were throws that were just uncatchable, throws where Barkley just was not going to be able to make anything happen, and that's what he was asked to do a lot. So uh, Rivers McCowan wrote this article, and uh, here's what he said. As I say this list meandered to the bottom of the list where Saquon Barkley was abysmal. Of course, as we noted in 2017, Evan Ingram was bad mostly because many of his targets were, for lack of a better turn, bad checkdowns from Eli Manning. Barkley inherited a lot of those passes in 2018, and we saw how that worked out. There's certainly nobody saying Barkley is a bad receiving back. The fact that he was targeted as often as he was would go wildly against that idea, but his offense was bad, his quarterback was bad, and a running back with Barkley's targets would have been expected to catch 82% of them. He caught about 70 seven percent of them so that is quite below expectation especially in the second half of the season there were a couple more drops than there were in the first half so when you look at what Barkley did on the field and what he was expected to do there's a big disconnect between his talent level and how he was used and that's something we've talked about so many times but it's also something that continues to pop up when we look deeper at what exactly his production was. Yeah, and I, I should mention that the piece you were talking about that's going to be going up on Big Blue View at some point is part of a larger joint piece we're both working on, basically taking a look at how Barkley was used in the passing game in the second half of the year and just how it could be better. But yeah, he wasn't used that well by the Giants, and he didn't get that many meaningful targets, especially compared to some of the other running backs and some of the other offenses in the league. And especially now, considering that he basically is going to be the Giants offense, that's something that is both concerning and an area that the Giants can definitely focus on to improve going forward. Yeah, that's going to have to be the case. And as we go into the third part of this installment, which was yards after the catch, uh, plus we can see how the Giants are probably trying to figure out how this offense is going to be structured. As we've talked about this, it's probably going to be a decent amount of short passes and hoping the guys on the other side of those passes are going to gain yards after the catch. And when you look at how the Giants have structured this offense, you can see they have targeted or at least have on the roster guys who have been good after the catch. So if we look at yards after the catch plus, which is yards after the catch uh, above expectation, Golden Tate, even in his down year and split between Detroit and Philadelphia, was 14th in yards after the catch above expectation among wide receivers. You go to tight ends. We've talked about this. Also, Evan Ingram was third among tight ends in yards after the catch plus. Although a lot of that was, I think, only two tight ends on this list were 
it targeted further behind the first down marker than Evan Ingram was on his average throw. Uh, so part of that goes into that. And then when you go to running backs, Saquon Barkley just slips into the top 20 at 18th. Um, so there's going to be a lot of yards after the catch elements in this offense, and that is going to be asking a lot of the skill position players to gain the yards that they're going to have to gain because uh, the way this is set up and the way a lot of these players have their strengths and probably Eli Manning's strength right now, uh, or at least least weakness, if we want to put it that way, is going to be getting the ball out quickly and and hoping this yards after the catch just uh, continues to pay off. Definitely. And it isn't surprising that Ingram is third on the list. In fact, I would almost expect him to be higher among the tight ends and really only second to George Kittle because according to uh, NFL Next Gen Stats, that's where Ingram was. He was second among receivers in yards after the catch. Of course, he was also the second lowest average depth of target among the receivers charted in by next-gen stats. So yeah, the his yards after catch was kind of by necessity. And then, like you say, with Saquon Barkley, we've talked about how much the Giants relied on him for yards after catch. He, was, he mostly caught the ball behind the line of scrimmage, so he had to get yards after the catch just to get positive yardage. And then the same with Golden Tate, and Sterling Shepard is probably in there as well, although he isn't listed in their in Football Outsiders chart. So yeah, that, that's definitely going to be really the basis for the Giants' offense going forward. Yeah, what is interesting at the bottom of this article for the yards after the catch is they rank the quarterbacks based on the yards after the catch uh, they created. And I think part of that is is scheme. A lot of that is going to be on the receivers. There, I think there's only so much quarterbacks can do, although there there is some placement that can lead to some more yards after the catch than if you throw an inaccurate pass. But Eli Manning was at exactly zero with no more yards after the catch than expected. Uh, but that was still 14th. So you can see between the 33 quarterbacks who were ranked there, that's about average. So zero is average there, unlike the passing plus minus was earlier. So we'll see whether Eli Manning can continue to create yards after the catch or if they're going to be relying so much on the skill position players like it kind of seems like they might. So all of these articles are up on Football Outsiders. I highly suggest checking them out, looking at the leaderboards. Uh, They will continually be uh, doing articles like this and putting out uh, some of their data as they work on Football Outsiders Almanac for the 2019 season, which I will also suggest picking up when it comes out, which I think is supposed to be in like late July. Um, So we are going to take a quick break and we will come back and dig into our audio summer school with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending determination is essential in overcoming them it's this willingness decisiveness and resilience that sets marines apart with our fighting spirit we don't just fight battles we win them marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. 
Okay, and we are back. So for our kind of audio summer school segment, and hopefully maybe we'll, if this goes well, we'll continue with this uh, throughout the rest of the summer. We're going to talk about some RPOs, which for the past couple seasons have been a big a topic with the NFL. But because of the giant offense and mostly uh, the quarterback will say uh, has not been a huge part of the Giants game but might be as we head into 2019. Yeah and it's actually kind of confusing that RPOs didn't play a bigger role in the Giants offense last year. Going back to 2017 when RPOs kind of first really broke into the NFL offensive landscape in a big way basically on the strength of the Philadelphia Eagles Super Bowl season they were the ones who they ran the most RPOs they their offense was basically synonymous with the letters RPO and everybody was talking about it and not too many people actually understood what they were seeing but that year the Giants actually on the run side of the RPO were actually one of the most efficient running teams with uh just under five and a half yards per carry you found that last year the giants at least they didn't call that many rpos or at least they didn't throw the ball on that many rpos no so i have uh, some sports info solutions charting here they have eli manning with six passing attempts off an rpo so that is not how many rpos were called that was just how many he decided to keep the ball and throw and that was that was 24th in the league you have guys up at the top like patrick mahomes was first with 32 uh, you have Mitchell Trubisky, who was second with 29, Andrew Luck, third with 27, Aaron Rodgers, fourth with 24, uh, and Ben Roethlisberger was fifth with 23. So and some of those guys a little more mobile than others, uh, but I think the, the the misconception there, and especially the difference in like keeping on, on a zone read uh, that doesn't have a, a pass play attached to it, is, is the quarterback mobility isn't really... It shouldn't really be a factor. Having a quarterback who can keep the ball and have that third option either be a handoff, a keeper, or a pass, that gives you an extra added element uh, that does make the play a little more dangerous. But for to run an RPO, you don't have to have a quarterback who is able to, to run the ball. You just have to have a quarterback who is going to be smart and make the right read, which you would hope Eli Manning is. And I think we can maybe talk about a bit of a difference in, you know, there's pre-snap RPOs and then there's post-snap RPOs where the quarterback can be on the line. And this is where Eli Manning has throughout his career been the most successful and where maybe the Giants could bring in the RPO element a little more is where he's reading the defense pre-snap figures out uh, either through a box count of how many defenders are in the box or just overall seeing what the defense is doing he can make the decision uh, before the snap there's also the post-snap RPO where um, once the quarterback has the ball in his hands he's reading usually a single defender uh, and figuring out where the ball should go whether he should hand off or pass I know the Giants did a little bit of that in 2018 but I think in 2019 we should probably see a little more yeah definitely and yeah I just want to make sure that people understand when we say RPO that's run pass option and what it looks like on the field is 
the offensive line blocks for a running play while most of the receivers, if not all of the receivers, go out and run routes. And especially in the post-snap, like you say, the quarterback is looking at one player, usually either a linebacker, sometimes they go to a second-level RPO and or third-level RPO and watch a safety. And what the quarterback basically does is just watches to see whether or not that one defender plays run or pass. If the, well, let's just say linebacker, comes up to fill a gap in the run game, then there's going to be a receiver entering his vacated area. So the quarterback just pulls the ball back and throws the pass. Basically, they're trying to put one defender into conflict and make sure he is wrong all the time. That's really all an RPO is. There can be, as you've said before, a a quarterback keep option if your quarterback can run, which that is the read option, which was in vogue like five years ago until defenses figure out if we just beat the crap out of quarterbacks, offenses aren't going to call it all that often. But just strictly speaking, an RPO and a read option are two different plays even though they can be related and do try to do similar things. They go about it in different ways. Right, and when we're talking with the Giants, there's mostly going to be the the pass element involved because the quarterback does not have that ability to run. So there's you know so many things you can run off it. Usually when these really first started popping up, it was you know a bubble screen on the side. And now teams are starting to run slants and posts and get deeper down the field. It's something we brought up when I was talking about some of the the film sessions uh, I watched on NFL Game Pass and when they accidentally released more than they should have, I watched one with Lane Johnson and he was talking about when the Eagles run RPOs, the offensive linemen just don't care where they are in relation to run blocking because when you're run blocking, you're moving forward. So when you're selling the run on an RPO, you are run blocking, you're moving forward. That's usually not what you're doing against for a pass play and there's supposed to be a set limit of where offensive linemen are allowed to be on pass plays or they get flagged for being too far down the field but Lane Johnson said on RPOs uh, refs so rarely call linemen down the field that they can just continue run blocking like normal and that now gives teams an advantage where there's a little more time where routes can now develop down the field when at the beginning of RPOs really making their way into the game it was it was swing passes it was screens behind the line of scrimmage now with the slants and posts and and more actual routes being put on top of these plays there's more explosive pass plays happening and it really opens up options for the offense and like you said it's putting it should be putting some defender in conflict And if you're running them correctly, the offense should always be right. And that's what makes running these type of plays so valuable is because if you're doing them correctly, you should always be right. Yeah, and you don't want to say they're free yards because everybody still has to execute the play correctly. But it's just so difficult for a defense to stop, especially now that NFL offenses have gotten a hold of them and can just run so much more sophisticated schemes. Basically, at the dirt, simple, vanilla level, the way to stop an RPO is to play 
man coverage. I did a summer school on this last year, which I'll be linking to in the post for this. But basically, if you do, if you play man coverage, it's difficult to run an RPO because basically everybody has their assignment. The linebacker comes downhill. There's man coverage on receivers across the board. That conflict doesn't really happen. So just in answer, offenses start running man coverage beaters and start looking, as you said, further down the field, the slants, the posts, and it just makes it that much harder for defenses because then they have to start adding wrinkles like hybrid coverages, playing man on one side, zone on the other, or you know, doing replacement blitzes to create confusion and hopefully disrupt the play and or rotating coverages to basically throw off the read and all of that puts a lot more stress on the whole defense trying to keep any particular stress off of any one player so it just puts defenses in really really bad position one way or the other yeah, and we're still at a point where offenses are so far ahead of defenses, and defenses are still just trying to catch up, and that's why for the past couple of years there's been this offensive explosion, especially in the passing game, uh, because offenses are just evolving and adapting at a faster rate than defenses have. Doug Farrar, who now works for USA Today, wrote a, a big three-piece article about defensive adjustments. He did that last season about defensive adjustments and how defenses have been slow to adjust and what they can do to catch up to modern offenses because defenses, for the most part, are still just playing the defenses they were playing in 2004 when offenses aren't there anymore. Offenses are way past that. So we're still in an area where the offense, when you run concept like this are still just ahead of uh, ahead of the game and defenses just has not have not done enough to catch up yet so I think that's that's something we can see and if you're going with an offense that's going to be so reliant on yards after the catch and things like that having an RPO with a Barkley run uh, attached to a Golden Tate slant, I mean, that's the type of play you're probably going to be running anyway. So to have the situation where one of those two things is probably going to be the right call on the given play, and if you trust Eli Manning to be correct uh, on his read, then you are upping your chance at at a successful play, and that should be what the goal of each play is and and that should be part of how the Giants adapt to now the personnel that they have and what type of offense they should be running going forward yes and I don't know if you have the numbers in front of you but part of the scouting evaluation of Daniel Jones was basically how much of Duke's offense was a one read RPO offense just so he could get the ball out quickly and not have to try to look too far down the field. So that's something he's already familiar with. So that's just another area where it wouldn't be a surprise to see the Giants call and run a lot more of these. And just to go back to the 2017, 
actually Mike Shula, when he was with the Carolina Panthers, called the fourth most RPOs in the league that year with, I believe it was 104. Yes. He, yeah. That year, Mike Shula called 104 RPOs with the Carolina Panthers. So it's a concept that he, at least, is very familiar with. Yeah, that is absolutely something when we go forward. And yeah, once Daniel Jones eventually does take over, there were a lot of those reads. I believe like 80% of Jones' passing attempts or his dropbacks were like one step or off of RPOs. So that is something he's going to be very comfortable with. That's something if he is comfortable and you do trust him to make those reads, then that also the potential of increasing the success rate and increasing the the likelihood that the right call is made at the line, that's something that could work out for a rookie quarterback. That's a way you could start to ease him into the game before he starts taking seven-step drops and then full-field reads. When you're limiting the amount of reads, but also upping the chance that it's going to be a correct call, like when you have a half-field read and you're only reading two routes, one of those might not be open. But if you have an RPO with a young quarterback like that and he, you trust him to make the correct read, if he has the ability, you're upping the likelihood that it's going to be a successful run. And if it doesn't look like it's going to be a successful run, then you make the pass. That That's just another way to get a young quarterback in. And if the Giants are going to ease him in at some point in the season, I would expect uh, an RPO heavy game plan. Definitely. And yeah, this is just one of the reasons why I love having Mark Schofield on because we can tie this right back to the our last episode with him. He flat out said that not only because it is effective, but one of the biggest reasons why the air raid has just exploded in the NFL is because teams want to get their young quarterbacks on the field and producing as quickly as possible, which means they have to run the offense those guys are comfortable with. And then that also leads back to what you were talking about before with how defenses need to adapt and catch up to offenses, which was really what we were talking about at that point with Mark and the Iowa State's air raid killer. Yeah, we'll see how much of that gets implemented, but right now, offense is still just ahead of defenses. And if we continue to talk about Daniel Jones and what his his play might look like, what that offense might look like, and adaptation for the offense, if Daniel Jones comes in the game and he's running the Eli Banning offense, the Giants have done something wrong. So uh, we still have a long way to go for that. But as we kind of talk about these RPOs and figure out how they're going to be implemented in the 2019 offense, I would say it's going to be a probably RPO heavy system once Daniel Jones comes in, whenever that is going to be. And that's probably his best chance for success, at least early on. Yeah, definitely. Like you just said, you go with what he's familiar with. That is one of the easiest ways to simplify a defense for a young quarterback. And it is a good way to put receivers who are going to be specializing in yards after the catch in position to get large 
receiving windows and hopefully just space to work with after they catch the ball. Yep, and that can help just about any quarterback, but young ones especially. And we'll see how the Giants decide to implement that into the offense. And if it's something we're going to see more with Eli Manning early in the season, if it's something that's going to continue to grow if Daniel Jones gets in later, um, it's just something we will continue to see. But it it is an element that I think all offenses right now should be taking advantage of to, to some point and to leave that out of the game plan, regardless of who the quarterback is, I think is a, is a missed opportunity to use a piece of offense that is continually working league-wide and is continually evolving to work league-wide because RPOs where they were in 2014 it's a far cry from where RPOs now in 2019 so uh, we will continue to see that evolution there also yeah we don't, we don't even know where they'll be in 2019 because it it really only takes one coach innovating to push an idea like this forward and when you've got guys like Sean McVay, uh, Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, just young, or, and now Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, do, who's going to be running these with Kyler Murray. It, these are young coaches who are definitely going to be studying the college level and using basically college football as their laboratory and then bringing that to the NFL, making the schemes more sophisticated because they've just, just have that much more time with the players. It could be very interesting to watch these schemes mature this year, next year, and also just to see how defenses cope if they can. Right, and at this point, if you're an offensive coach and you're not watching those offenses and stealing plays or ideas from them, then you're also missing out. Um, that's how the NFL works. You you should be watching and and taking ideas from those and and adapting that to whatever your team is going to do. So we'll see if the Giants do that going forward. Um, so we are going to end this episode here. I hope you enjoyed that talk. I hope it worked well. And uh, if it did, we'll maybe continue to to do that uh, going forward in, in the summer months. Uh, we are also going to continue to... I take questions from you guys for mailbag episodes because those have been working pretty well. So if you have uh, if you have questions for us, you would like uh, to ask for a mailbag, let us know. Uh, you can hit us up on on Twitter um, or through email. So you can uh, find this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, please rate and review if you have not. Those uh, have continually been coming in and helping, so thank you for that. You can find our work on BigBlueView.com. You can find BigBlueView on Twitter at BigBlueView. You can follow BigBlueView on Instagram at Big underscore Blue underscore View. You can follow me on Twitter at Dampazuda. You can follow Chris on Twitter at RaptorMKII. Thank you guys for listening, and we will talk to you again soon.